kid, he said that he used to go, you know, he remembers going to the circus. And they would go to the circus and, and they would see these attractions at the circus, the bearded lady, the, uh, the 600-pound man, all of this stuff like that. When he was a kid, you know, they didn't really have a whole lot of stuff to do, so that was something. And so he he had said that when he got ready to make his his uh, his comeback, he said that he he knew that basically it was almost like a circus act. There's never been a 40 year old champion, right? So I don't still don't the documentary didn't tell who this was. I have a good idea who it might have been, but he said that uh, that he he went around looking for people to fund his comeback, and he he, he promised whoever that did it they'd make 40 percent of what he made for the no matter what he did for the rest of his. His life. So somebody else is getting a bunch of that George Foreman grill money right now, too. <laughs> but he he had this situation when he lost to Muhammad Ali. Everybody thought he was going to kill Muhammad Ali. They were telling him, don't fight. And he thought that uh, they thought he was going to kill him. He was, you know, don't fight George Foreman. George Foreman was very feared, very feared boxer. I didn't, had no idea he was that great. You know, he beat Joe Frazier. And Joe Frazier was, they, everybody was scared of Joe Frazier, right? And so after he loses to Muhammad Ali, he, 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 or during the process when he was champion, he, he changed from being a nice kid who was very appreciative at getting a chance to go and box and get out of, out of Fifth Ward. He, he changed and he got angry. He wanted to be like Sonny Listen. Sonny Listen was like a put off this bad persona and was angry all the time. And so George said that he, had, he adopted that mentality. So when he, when he, it started to take over him. It went from being an act to taking over him. So he, when he fought Muhammad Ali and he lost, he became very, very bitter and just started doing a lot of stuff that was out of his character. And he had this one fight that he lost, and apparently he lost it pretty bad. They took him back to the dressing room, and in the, in the dressing room, uh, he, he said he, he, he was so worked up and, and, all, and due to all the other stuff from the fight, he basically he died for a few minutes. I didn't know none of this stuff. So he says he, he, he left out his body, looking down at himself, all of these people and, uh, you know, around him and this, that, and this and that other kind of stuff. And he says he has this encounter with God during this time. He's telling the story, he has an encounter with God. So he comes back into his body. He says for the next hour, he was just saying, praise God, you know, talking about Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. He said everybody thought he was crazy. Right. And so for the next 10 years, he didn't box. He went and he opened up, and I've been to the place a few times. He opened up a, a boxing gym over off of Seven Mile Street, down off of uh, Audi and Westfield in Little York. And that's where I met him, and that's where we'd go over there, and I'd go meet with Roy and, and stuff like that over there in the gym. They'd be in there playing basketball. They had a boxing ring, and they had a gym. And so he explained that over the next 10 years, uh, he, he, you know, he, he didn't watch TV. He, he read his Bible. He worked on this. Uh, he worked on this uh, uh, this, pro- this kids program over there, and uh, so he, the reason why he wound up getting back into boxing was he was going around asking people for donations uh, to, for his children's deal after he had spent all his money, and he was going around asking for donations. And somebody told him they said uh, they went to a place to go collect some money, and they, get, they took a certain amount of money. And the person was like, you know, we need to take another collection. We can do better than this for George. And he said, I've never been more embarrassed in my life. And so he went home and he told his family that he was going to go and he was going to go box again. And so they were like, Dad, you're 38 years old. You know, box again. And, and, you know, and everybody knows the story. He went out and he, he boxed. 
And he tells the story. A lot of things I didn't didn't know, but he tells the story of how it was like a circus at first. and Nobody really took him serious. But he said because of his preaching over the course of 10 years, he learned how to speak. And so that's why he, he wasn't he wasn't he was able to speak in front of people and say stuff. And people just fell in love with him after they saw he was winning. He go, wound up getting a TV show and all this other stuff. But he did that because he wanted to raise money for his his youth program. Right. He went back into boxing because of that. And God blessed him. Uh, and he had, he got a championship fight when he was 40 years old with Evander Holyfield. Now, we, me and Lori met Evander Holyfield, too. Spent about four or five weird hours in his house. Right. Uh, and so Evander Holyfield beat George Foreman. And, and so George kind of went around doing his TV show. He was popular enough. He was making money. And even though he didn't win a championship, he, he had, had come back, you know, and it, and it brought his life back. Everything began to change and it prospering again. And so then there was a guy by the name of Michael Moore, but Evander Holyfield said that that was the most money he ever made in a boxing match. The fight he had with George Foreman because everybody wanted to see it and they said they sold like one, they broke the pay-per-view records, like 1.5 million pay-per-view situations. And so the, the other guy, Michael Moore, was the champion. He had beaten Holyfield and so he wanted to fight George because he knew that it was going, it was going to make a lot of money. So nobody thought that George was going to win. They told George, don't fight the guy. So George said he had gotten older and he gotten wiser and known that he couldn't move like he used to, but he still had that punching power, right? And I've been to seeing George, George, George walk bad. He got the bad knees, you know, like that. He, I'm like, George, you, you, you look bad, man. And I didn't know how he was boxing. I, I felt bad for him when I seen him. But George fought Michael Moore and George, he was losing. It was up in like the 10th round or something like that, 10th, 11th, 12th round. And he, and George kept saying, he said, George said, every time I would, I would, I would, uh, you know, swing at him, punch at him, he said he never would, no, he would swing at me, he never would get back. And George was like, I'm just waiting on him, waiting on him. He says, he keep doing that, I'm gonna knock him out. <laughs> right? And so that's exactly what happened. George knocked him out and became the heavyweight champion of the world at 45 years old. And the whole thing started because he had the vision to take care of these kids and his, his encounter with God and God honored it. And it turned out just like he, he thought that it would. But, but in my talking about development tonight, it's just a, a, you know, a fun, good story to open up with that George developed over the course of his life. His fighting style evolved. His mindset and who he was changed and, uh, due to his relationship with God and even his, even again, his fighting style in the ring where he used to just, I'm going to try to give it everything I got. He learned he had to be more patient and that, that got him to be the heavyweight champion of the world when he was, when they said he was a much better fighter when he was younger, but everybody said that the, the older George Foreman would have beat the younger George Foreman because of how he had developed his, his fighting. So two things that really spoke to me in that was, that George took action because there was something on his heart that needed to be done. And George was like, man, I'm not going to be going asking these people for this money. I'm going to go make it. I'm, I'm going to go and give, I'm going to go use what God gave me to make this happen. And God honored that. But George had to develop in order for God to do what he wanted to do in his life. And so we've been talking about development. And, I thought that would be an interesting story for y'all to put in your folder. Some people trying to do some things. Sometimes you got to get out there and do what you got to do. Use the tools that God gave you. If you something's really in your heart to see to, for you to see it happen. Amen? Amen. Well, I was also thinking about this at a time going through 
that neighborhood where we used to live over there. And I thought to myself, I said, you know, why is it that people uh, don't move out of the same neighborhood that they they grew up in? You know, and I, now if you grew up in River Oaks, by all means, you, you should stay there. Amen. <laughs> Uh, but but if you grew up in a situation where it was not very positive, you know, why is it that people remain in those environments with with the lack and and the pain and all of that kind of stuff? And so I wrote some things down and and, and this is where we're going to go and where we're going to start from tonight. Most people can most people uh, are not comfortable thinking because thinking can be really hard work, harder than physical work. And we talked about this some before, but we're going to. Really take a better look at it tonight. Therefore, they won't step up and face the challenges because thinking, hearing from God and figuring out how to overcome uh, what uh, whatever that is, is the number one thing that's going to be required. Let me read that again. Therefore, they won't step up and face new challenges because thinking, hearing from God and figuring out how to overcome whatever that is, is the number one thing that's going to be required. So anytime something is in front of you, you have to sit down and you have to you have to think about it. You have to hear from God. And there, there is work to be done for you to go from one place to the other place. Right. And a lot of people do not like to think. Right. They, they don't want to think. And so uh, I heard a guy one time and uh, he, he explained this and I never forgot it. But he says that that thinking is harder work than physical work. Right. And you're sitting down trying to figure out. How you gonna go from A to B? Most of the matter of fact, a good example of that is you don't get stressed out from physical work. You get stressed out from the mental side of it, right? right? You your depression comes because of the mental fatigue, right? You if you out there if you out there working on something, a lot of times unless you go to working too hard, then you you become physically overcome. But depression usually comes from mental fatigue, right? right? So people like I don't want to engage in that. Um. So in regards to, again, guarding your mind and your will and your emotions, your mind and your and will and the emotions need to be developed to accept and to take on new challenges that are going to require you to think and to work and or adapt. Right. Let's read it again. So so in regards to, again, guarding your mind, your will and your emotions, your mind and will and emotions need to be developed to accept and to take on new challenges that are going to require you to think and to work and to adapt. Thinking, working, and adapting. That's how, that's how things will oftentimes are conquered. You come into a situation where something has to be overcome, you're going to have to think, you're going to have to work, and you're going to have to adapt. Remember we talked about it in church the other Sunday about building a race car out of a bag of peanuts? Right? You got to think. You got to work. You got to adapt. Think, work, and adapt. And a lot of times people are not with that. They're not, they're not about that. They're not about thinking, working, and adapting. That's too hard. Because of a myriad of reasons. They, they may feel like I'm going to invest my time, I'm going to invest my hope, and it's not going to pay off for me. Right? So therefore, I don't, just don't want to do that. I just rather sit here and not do it. <clears throat> That's why a lot of people will not move out of their neighborhood they grew up in. They won't go to school to learn new things. They stay away from new. They stay away from new because new requires thinking, working, and adapting. So people just like I really I just rather stay away from it. 
I don't even want to get involved. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing because this is safe. This is comfortable and I'm not going to take risks. They stay away from new because they have they have broken through the old new because they have broken through the old new, the old new thing. And it has become routine. So the old the old new thing has now become routine. Right. So whatever they had to break through in the past, at one time they had to do something. Right. Matter of fact, you know, it's against the law not to go to school. So you have to break through in education. You may sit up there and not want to do your homework and not want to go to school, but you're going to break through. Or else they're going to put you in the truant school or your parents going to get fined or something like that. You're going to break through. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to learn. I don't want to do my homework. You're going to do it. Right? You're going to do it because there's it's some, it's some trouble on the other side of that thing, right? So once they've done the minimum requirements, how many people after they've uh, left high school, whether it be they graduated or quit school, how many people just make up their mind, I ain't reading another book in my life? <laughs> people make up their mind, I ain't reading no more. I told y'all I committed I wasn't going to sit in and install on the concrete no more. I told y'all that. I hated when they used to make us do that at school. They get us outside physical education class in my brand new Levi's. <laughs> Right, sit me on that cover with them rocks, and they always had that gravel. You know what? What, what is this? Sweep that, and sit me on the ground in the asylum. I'm already big. My Levi's brand new, brand new white tennis shoes. I'm on the ground, PE, sweating in my brand new clothes. Right? So I hated that. I said, when I'm adult, I'm not done. I've done my best not to sit in the asylum on the concrete no more. The rest of my adult life, I ain't playing with you, man. So, so listen. So again. They want to stay away from the new because they have broken through the old thing and it's become routine and become comfortable and they work and the work has been taken out of it and that's what they want to not have to think because to them thinking is too much work. You get past a certain point, you want to get comfortable. That's the way we, we, we are, but you have to really be mindful of that, of, of getting to a place where you're comfortable about something. Right? Now, uh, if you've ever drove over to the church, the first time you were coming, you might have to get your GPS or somebody's directions or whatever like that. And you had to be trying to get here, left, right, this, that, and the other. But once you got here and you came a couple of times, what? It's routine. So I can be having a conversation on my phone. I can be talking to the person next to me, not even thinking about it. Right. And I can pull up right in front of the church because it's become routine. Now, that's the way we want. That's why we that's why we uh, have repetition. In sports, that's why you got these guys, they go and they say they put up a thousand shots a day. So they don't have to think about it. They can just, they can just shoot and muscle memory is causing it to go. Chad was talking to me about something about, about shooting. And it, Chad, you gotta forgive me, I keep forgetting. He was talking about a certain kind of aim. When you go and they teach you to aim when you shoot a gun, you line up the two sights. But you said there's a certain aim that you do where you, yeah, it has to be so quick. You ain't, you ain't lining up the sights. What's it called again? Natural sight. Right. So natural sight is I ain't trying to line them up. I'm just basically, you know, it's a quick and I'm looking real quick. But that's done from practice. Is that right? Rehearsal and done from practice. So, uh, you know, that's that's the way we're designed. We designed to get in the routines for our benefit, not to our detriment. That makes sense. We designed to get in routines for our benefit, but not for our detriment. 
Routines are not something that we want to cause us to go in a negative direction. Routines are designed for us to go in a positive direction. So here it is. I see something that needs to be conquered. I'm going to give everything I got to conquer that thing and get in a routine so now it can become easy. I don't look at something difficult and say I'm not going to conquer it. No, I'm going to conquer it so it can become routine. I'm going to conquer it so it can become easy. Right? So if I make a habit of reading my Bible, talking about development, if I make a habit of reading my Bible and I say I'm going to read at this time, that time, if I'm going to give five or ten minutes to it, and then what's going to happen is at a certain time, I'm not going to even really have to think about it. I know at eight o'clock in the morning, that's my Bible reading time for ten minutes. So whatever else is going on in the world, because that's how I'm designed, I'm going to be thinking I got to go read at eight. I got to read at one. I got to do this and I got to do that. Wednesday night, I gotta come to church. Sunday morning, I gotta go to church. Now, unless I gotta work, or there's an occasional, uh, uh, vacation or something like that, other than that, I'm conditioned. That's what I mean. I feel crazy if I'm somewhere and I'm not at church. Oh, God. It's like ants. You ever seen that movie Ants? And they got the line, and they don't break the line. They gotta keep going in line. That's the way I feel when, uh, what are we, I, I'm off. Something ain't right. Okay, and so we we designed to routines are supposed to help us. They're not supposed to hurt us. Okay, so now now I want to take a look at our friend again. Have to take another look at our friend again. Uh, Let's turn over here to Matthew twenty five fourteen. We learning so much from this guy. I really hate that we having to learn it at his. You know, after he went through what he went through, but praise the Lord that we can really look at it. And learn from him. But he just, he just, Lord, thank you for writing it down. I hope that brother turned out good. We're going back over to the story with the talents. Got to go back over there again and look at this a little bit closer now. Is it 14? Yeah, I said uh, 2514. I think that's right. No, 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 no. Don't it start at verse 1? Or does it start at verse 14? It says, uh. And it will be like a man going to a journey who calls himself. Yeah, that's it. Verse 14? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to read from the Message Bible. I'm going to read from the Message Bible. This is, did it a little different. I'm going to read most of it from the Message Bible, and then I'm going to go back over to the NKJV and, uh, read a part of it from there. But it starts this way in the Message Bible. It says this. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one given $5,000. Am I in the right place? 14? Okay. The one given $5,000 showed him how he had uh, doubled his, his investment and his master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. Right. So in other words, I can work with you. Right. I can work with you. You're developing. You're putting forth effort. I can say, be my partner. We can work together. Right. Um, then it goes on. and says the servant with the two showed how he also had doubled his master's investment and his master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. So to him, he says the same thing. I can work with you. Man, you can work together. Right. You, you, you put forth some, some initiative. You put forth some effort. We can work together. The servant given one thousand said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways 
and you demand the best and make no allowances uh, for error. So almost everything he said was true. Right. He's trying to he's trying to dip, mess with God and come with God's emotions. Almost everything he said was true, except for he makes no that he makes no allowances for error. Because we know there's plenty of people in the Bible that have made mistakes. Yep. Right. So you got to understand this guy is trying to get himself off from under his mistakes. And he's saying things to the master to try to save his own rear end. Right. So uh, make no allowances for error. error. He says, I was afraid I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place. Now, I had to stop right there when he said that. He says, I was afraid. I didn't do it. I was afraid. So I found a good hiding place. Often exactly what we've done. When we found some place, we found some place to hide instead of working out this task for God. The brother said, I found the hiding place. That's often what we do. When we got something in front of us that God has required us to do and we don't want to face the challenge, we go and hide. Meaning that we, we, listen, we, you don't, you don't go, you don't have to go hide by yourself. You can hide amongst everybody else. And only you and God know that you done took that thing and buried it in the ground. Don't nobody else know because you're talking like everything's okay. You're talking like you and God in right standing. But you know that you went and hid. You know what you were supposed to do for God. You know what you didn't do. Everybody else may not know. So you could be hiding in plain sight amongst everybody else. But that's exactly what we do. We go hide. We take our mind somewhere else on something else. We feed ourselves so many excuses as to why we didn't do what God told us to do. Right? And we go and we hide ourselves. Why do we hide ourselves? It says, it goes on, it says, and secured your money. Also, exactly what we've done in the past as well. Went for security instead of walking out the assignment of God by faith. We went for security instead of walking out the assignment of God by faith. That brother said, I secured it. Right? I made sure ain't nothing happened. Don't we like security though? We don't want to get involved with God about something, you know, like that. That's, that's why some folks, we, we can't, we won't pay our tithes. We won't give. Because I got this money. I'm not fixing to give it to God. Yeah. Right? We won't, we won't do right. We won't invest emotions. We won't, we won't do what we're supposed to do because we like the security of our situation. I wish I was smart enough to come up with all this stuff too. God just downloaded to me. I'm like, whoa, I'm just as shocked as everybody else. Right? But I guess I don't have to be smart. As long as I can, he'll keep my ears on. As long as I can hear. I'm all right. Okay? Uh, we stop it. So, so he was secure, right? It says, here it is safe and sound down to the last cent. Now, the master's response was not at all what he thought it was going to be. The master goes on and says, the master was furious. He says, that's a terrible, this is a message verse. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. And we ain't, we just getting started. Come on. We just getting started. Chad, we just getting going. Right? We just getting started. I'm, I'm, I'm taking it slow. Because we ain't got into the, the meat of the reading. It's criminal to live like that. He goes on, he says, if you knew that I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? If you knew that I was after the best, 
You tell me why you did less than the least. Man, this is this is this Jesus telling this story. This ain't one of the disciples. But why did Jesus tell stories like this? Because he wanted to make a point. He was like, somewhere in these stories is Jesus' opinion about how it ought to be done. And I guarantee you it ain't on the side of the brother who ain't do nothing. Right? Jesus is telling it from the, he called him, he used these words like master, he used the word like Lord. He used these type of words, right? Because he wants you to know what side of the whole thing he on. Right? So he says, uh, he says, he says, if you knew I was after the best, why did you let do less than the least? The, uh, the least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Then he goes on, he says, take the thousand. Take, somebody say, say, take the thousand. Take the thousand. Yeah, I need enough, I need more people to, to say this so you can get it in your system. Say, take the thousand. Take the thousand. God, Jesus took his stuff from him? <laughs> Jesus on the side of taking his stuff? We see a whole different side of God right here. But we're not the only ones to see different sides of God. They got scared when they saw Jesus come walking on the water. They thought it was a ghost. Why? Because they never seen Jesus like that before. Some of you never seen Jesus like that before. I want you to give account over what, over your stewardship. What are you doing with what he gave you to be over? Are you making the most out of it? Are you developing? Or are you about some security? He says, take the thousand and give it to the one that risked the most. Now, some people say, well, that show is wrong with Jesus. That brother had it all you need anyway. Let that brother keep that thousand and go to the flea market with it. The other brother got 10,000. He's going to take his stuff from him. Let that brother keep that money. But it's not about the money. It's about stewardship. Right. It's about development. It's about what are you, what are you doing as you walk along with God? What's your attitude like? That's why, so that's why, listen, I'm sick and tired of the church. Not, I'm not just talking about cross church. I'm talking about the church as a whole, taking the back seat to everything that happens in the world. But this is why it happens, because we won't put forth effort. We think God's supposed to give us everything. You got a part that you're supposed to play. Yeah, there's certain things that only God can do. But what's your excuse for hiding your stuff in the hole? Why are you hiding? Go dig that stuff up, man. So he says, give it to the one who risked the most. Look at the words they use. Give it to the one who risked the most. Some people risk, the word risk and Christian and church don't go together for some folks. Church think they're supposed to play everything safe. That's what, again, why we're in the situation that we're in right now. You can't play it safe. Sometimes you ain't got, you ain't got nothing. You got to risk something. Amen. And here's Jesus talking about this, brother. You got to take a risk. You see what you got? You got to take a risk. He said, give it to the one who risked the most and get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb. He called him a play it safe who won't go out on a limb. Get rid of him. Who won't go out on a limb. Throw him into outer darkness. All right, so let's look at the uh, New King James Version. It says a little bit different. Uh, verse 26. He says, but his Lord answered and said unto him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not uh, straw seed. So he called him wicked and lazy. Here again, if, if for him to take that thousand dollars, take that sum of money and turn it into something else, what is it going to require for him to do that? Effort. He's going to have to think. 
He's going to have to put forth some work. He's going to have to adapt to some situations. He got to be correct. It's going to require work. That brother said, I ain't about no work. I'm going to take this money and stick it in the ground. When he come back, I'm going to give it back to him. Now, the cold thing about it was, let's go all the way back up to the top. That's verse 14. Verse 14 says, after a long absence. That brother had that money for a while. That brother, that brother, it wasn't just like a couple of days that he had the cash to turn it around. It said, after a long absence. That brother had that opportunity for a minute and didn't do nothing with it. It said he came back after a long, after a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled it with them. Right? So he gave them time. He looked at him. You know, your money, your money, you know, go do something with it. Now, I had a friend of mine say one time, he told this, this is good, Howard. He said this. The two guys, the one had the 5,000, the other one had the 2,000. Five talents, two talents, whatever version you're reading out of. The, the master never told the one with the one that he couldn't ask the other two for advice. He never said you can't go ask them what they're doing. Well, what, are, what are you doing with your two? Mm-hmm. What are you doing with your five? He, that, wasn't, that wasn't stated in the rules that we read. That brother didn't even go ask them brothers for no advice. You don't know what you're doing and you won't go ask somebody else who might know what they're doing. But that's a part of development. It don't matter if you can't do it. God asks you to do something that he knows you can't do. Because what he needs you to do is to work and to adapt and to develop. He he knows you can't do it when he gives it to you. He knows what that brother with that that, that 1,000 could do. Now watch this. Let's Let's go back again. In the first verse. So go back to, up to verse 1. No, 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 hold on. Um, verse 14. Hold on, I got to find it in my Bible because I, I, I moved it over to my Word file, but I need to find it. Or being help me for time's sake. Where's the where's show them where the verse is where it says depending on their several abilities? What, what verse is that? So they can know what's one of them I'm reading. On the same uh, Yeah, that same passage. Well, twenty five. In the in the message version? Yeah, the message version. Uh, between fourteen and eighteen, just in the bottom. It's fifteen, right? Okay. Verse fifteen. Okay, so in the message version, in the message version it reads like this. He says it also it's also like a man going off on an extended trip. Which which verse which verse yeah, is that? Starts at 14, right? Okay, fourteen. It's also as a man going off on an extended trip, he called his servants together and delegated responsibilities to one he gave five five thousand dollars, to another two thousand, to uh uh the third one thousand. Depending on their abilities. <laughs> Depending on their abilities. So it was nothing unfair about the whole thing. The dude, the man, we talked about this a couple of Sundays ago. The one with the one, he could have done it. He could have done it. He was in bad shape, but he could have done something. And matter of fact, the Bible even says you could have at least took it to the bank. We know interest at the bank is terrible. That's right. That's right. You're not going to play the stock market. You're not going to invest in Fat Floyd Smokehouse and Grill. That's right. 
<laughs> Take it to the bank. <laughs> Get some of that terrible two what a two percent one point what's the what's the interest at the bank on the savings account? Zero, 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 zero. Oh, how much? That's terrible. That's ter- but he said you at least could have listen that's all he was looking for. Take the thousand dollars listen, the Lord was not trying to explain to be unreasonable. Take it over there and at least give me a little bit of that cheesy interest they're giving at the bank these days. Right? But his brother didn't want to do it. And he gave it to him according to that several ability. <sighs> All right, let's go now to... Uh, let's, let's look at... Uh, turn to Luke 15, 11. Luke 15, 11. Luke 15, 11. Luke 15, 11. We're going to look at something else. See, I don't think, I don't think that this brother got in so much trouble because he made a mistake. I, I don't think that. Because there's too many examples of people making mistakes that didn't get in no trouble. Yeah. Right? So let's look at, look at some of this. And this is what I wrote. Based on some other accounts in the scripture, I don't think losing money would have disqualified him from getting another chance, but laziness and unwillingness to act or take a risk did. Let me, let me read that one again. Based on some other accounts in the scripture, I don't think that losing money would have disqualified him from uh, getting another chance, but laziness and unwillingness to act or take a risk did. Also, not about falling, uh, about falling or being scared. Elijah and Gideon's group, uh, had some similar outcome circumstances. Okay, so uh, let's look at where I tell you go. Luke 15, 11. Let's look at this story about the prodigal son here. Right? Let's look at this story. Now, the prodigal son was welcomed back after blowing all the money. And the older son got mad, at the, and the father said to him, all I have is yours. Right? And besides that, uh, he had given both of them their inheritance. The older brother could have went on his own. I'm going to come back to that. Let's read the story. Right. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. And he said, there was a certain man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the part of the property that falls to me. And he divided his estate between them. And not many days after that, the younger son gathered up all he had and journeyed into a distant country. And there he wasted his fortune in reckless and loose restraint and living. And when he had spent all he had, a mighty famine came upon the country and he began to fall behind and be in want. So he went and forced and glued himself upon the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the hogs. And he had gladly, he would have gladly have fed, fed on and filled his belly with the carrot pods the hogs were eating. But they could not satisfy his hunger and nobody gave him anything. Then when he came to himself, he said, how many high servants of my father have enough food and uh, even food to spare? And I am perishing, dying with hunger. I will get up and I will go uh, to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, uh, and in your sight. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your hired servants. 
So he got up and he came to his own father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and moved with pity and tenderness for him. He ran and embraced him and kissed him fervently. And uh, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And I, I no longer deserve to be recognized as a son of yours. But father, but the father said unto his servants, bring uh, quickly the best robe. And the festive robe of honor, of honor, and put it on him, and give him a ring for his hand, and sandals for his feet, and bring out that wheat fattened calf. Oh, man, we got uh, grain fed beef here, right? Not, not that cheap beef, right? Right? And bring out, he said, and bring out the wheat uh, fattened calf, and kill it, and let us uh, revel and feast and be happy and make merry, because this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was he was lost and is found. And he began to revel and feast and make merry. But his older son was in the field. Somebody say in the field. In the field. It's going to come up strong in a little bit. He was in the field. And as he uh, returned, he came near to the house and heard the music and the dancing. Right? And the haterade got started. Right? And having called one of the servant boys to him, he began to ask, what this meant? What's going on at the house? Right? And he said to him, your brother has come home and your father's killed a wheat fattened calf. And because uh, he has received him safe and well, but the elder brother was angry and deep seated, deep seated wrath and resolved not to go in. Then his father came out uh, and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never gave me so much a little kid uh, that I might uh, revel and, and feast and be happy and make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours arrived who devoured your estate, with immoral women, you have killed for him the wheat fattened calf. And the father said unto him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. Right. Uh, he says, but that it was fitting to make merry and revel in the feast and rejoice for this. Thy brother was dead and is alive again. And he was lost. And now he's fine. Now we, we fix it. We can we'll rip this up and tear this up. I never seen all this stuff. Never seen all this stuff until the Lord showed it to me. First off, let me tell you. Young people, this right now. Listen, 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 listen to me. Teenagers and young people. You have to understand that your choices in this life are going to take you places. They're going to make you wind up in good places or they're going to make you wind up in bad places. Now listen, young people. For the most part, people are trying to tell you not to smoke weed. Don't drink alcohol and stay out of the clubs. It's way bigger than that. Right. Because if you look at some of us, your parents who are still trying to 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 reach certain places that we need to get at the age that we are, it's because we were trying to people were telling us to stay off the weed, stay off the drinks and stay out of the nightclub and telling us to make instead of telling us to make bigger life decisions and saying that by the time you get in your 40s, if you don't do the right thing, you're going to still be trying to make it where you want to go. So so to stay off the weed and the alcohol and out of the nightclubs, that's a given. Your mind shouldn't even have to be on there. Stick that in the folder of done deal. Right? You got other stuff you need to be thinking about right now. What am I, how am I going to take care of myself? What does God want for me to do? Because these decisions that you make right now are going to affect you when you're in your 30s and you're in your 40s. But young people think that, hey, listen, everything's going to be all right. That's because your mama buy your school clothes. All right? But it's going to come a day that they're not going to buy your school clothes. Right. And then at that point, it's going to be too late for you to start trying to figure out that I need to have some snap. I need to be able to think I need to have some wisdom of myself. Right. It's too late or it's going to make it difficult if you start developing at that age. You need to start developing now. Yes, 
now. So, so listen, this is ridiculous that we have to tell you to watch what you listen to and stop listening to that stupid music. Slap you on the hand. It's ridiculous I have to tell you don't be smoking weed. Don't be doing this and don't be doing that and, and, and all this other kind of stuff. Don't be running around having sex. That's ridiculous. Your mind should be on something more important than that. Because all that stuff is going to do is destroy you and bring you down and put you in a position that when you finally wake up and realize that there are, are serious things that you have to take care of, you're going to see how far behind that you are because you were messing around with that other stuff at first. Need to be about this other stuff. I think about this. I heard a man say this one time. He said in the Bible, you notice how they didn't have to tell him not to go around uh, spray painting houses and stuff like that. And then now, thou shalt not spray paint the neighbor's house and all that. Don't be doing this because they had jobs. Thirteen years old, they was having families. People was getting married. They was doing adult work, right? So when you got responsibility, you don't have time to be doing all that stupid stuff. Right? Listen to me, I'm telling you right now. Get your head on right, right now. When you come inside the church, don't say, this is just for the adults. Someday you're going to be one. Someday you're going to be one. Now I'm telling you, there's not a parent in this room that will want to agree with me and say, you know what? The man telling the truth. The man telling the truth. You got to get it together much younger. Now is the time for you to be getting it together. Right? And everybody says, well, you know, everybody's going to be an internet or a YouTube sensation. Even a YouTube sensation ain't a YouTube sensation. It took some time. They had to learn, listen, they had to develop their singing voice. Justin Timberlake, uh, uh, everybody tells a story. Usher found him on, on social media. Usher found Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake been singing forever. His voice had to be developed. The social media was just the outlet that he finally got revealed. Right? You have to be developing now. You need to be deciding right now. Listen, I, I'm, I, I'm like, how many kids we got? Am my kids in here? I'm recording this, but that's all right. I got to say it. Okay, so listen. One kid, two kids. I don't know if we had any of our kids on purpose. Right? Just like we're fixing to have a baby. Some of these people say, well, you know, we didn't hit 35. We have the home. We have the careers. We're going to have a child now. <laughs> right? Raise your hand up in here if you did that. Maybe one or two, but for the most of us, it went something like this. <laughs> Surprise! They coming. In nine months, the family going to be extended. Is that right? So listen, because in, in, in 90% of the cases, you know, I, it always trips me out when I hear somebody say, and they, they always like, like be embarrassed about, it. I met him at the club. We met at the club. <laughs> we met at a party. Me and Pastor Lord met at a party. <laughs> Full of alcohol all over the establishment. But God. Amen? So listen, it don't matter where you meet, but the point I'm trying to make is, you're going to do stupid stuff because you're young. The Bible says foolishness is born in the heart, bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction that causes you to develop is the only thing that's going to drive it away. Amen. Don't waste your time right now. Don't be wasting your time with stupid decisions. People shouldn't have to be coaching you, telling you not to do things to destroy yourself and destroy your own reputation. I shouldn't have to chase you down and tell you, don't put naked pictures of yourself on the internet. I shouldn't have to be on you about that. You should know. And some adults have to tell them that too. The politicians do the same thing. Leave your phone. Don't take your phone in the bathroom. Just leave it. If you can't, resist the temptation. Turn it off and stick it in the other room. Put it on the kitchen table. 
And when you go to the bathroom, don't take it. <laughs> Amen? So, so some of this stuff, now listen, why do we have to tell adults this? Because they didn't get it when they was kids. Age does not make you mature. Come on. Amen. If you keep living, you're going to keep having birthdays. That don't make you mature because you had a birthday. I remember there was two guys that, uh, that we, we knew. And how these brothers was, they, was, they, was, they wasn't twins, but they was close in age. And I think one of them was 46 and the other one was 42. Still living with their mama, right? Listen, ain't nothing wrong with living with your mama, but you're a man. You're a grown man with no job. Ain't never had no job. Just walk around the neighborhood. No, man. Walk around the neighborhood and smoke weed. Drank alcohol. You're a grown man, 40-something years old. And it wasn't like they moved out and had to come back. They never left. So you can listen. Your birthday is going to keep coming. That ain't going to make you wise because you have a birthday. You can be an old fool. So you got to develop. God wants you to develop. God wants you to understand that I'm not going to do it all for you. If you don't get it in your mind that you got a part to play in this, you're going to have a long and a hard road to toe. That's what it sounds like some of the old folks would say. Hard road to toe. Is that right? Somebody heard that before? Right? They said that in my family. You got a hard road to toe. So, so listen, when it, when it comes down to this stuff right here, say, well, we're not in the youth church. We don't have pizza. Listen, let me tell you something. <laughs> let me tell you something. That pizza going to be gone when you go to the bathroom. Right? You need some wisdom, man. You need some insight, man. You need some information. Because the world is getting more difficult and more difficult and more difficult every day. Yet young people have to face stuff we never had to face. It's hard to be young, man. But the, the cool thing about it is that God gave us his word. Solomon said he wrote in the beginning of Proverbs, he said that the young man might have wisdom and subtlety. That's why they wrote it. And we say, I had a slogan I used to do. What I used to say, we made a second movie off of it. But I said this and I would ask people, is the Bible just a book for grandmas? Is it? Because then subconsciously people think that grandmas go to church and that's what Bibles are for. No, no. The Bible, and, and my, my thing was we made a movie off of it, but I would say this. I said, no, the Bible is the player's manual. Because everybody's a player in the game of life. You need this book. Everyone needs it. It's not just a book for grandma. God wrote it. He said a child left alone will bring shame to his family. That's why God didn't leave us alone. He left us his word. He wouldn't break his word, tell us we shouldn't leave our kids alone, but and then leave us alone. No. When I used to go home, away from home and leave my kids at home, I would write down on a piece of paper. Right, babe? I write down on a piece of paper. These are the rules. Write them all down on a piece of paper, get them all and sit them in there and say, look, this is what you, you're supposed to do and what you don't supposed to do while I'm gone. I left him my word. You break these rules, there's going to be some problems. Right? So God didn't leave you alone. He left you his word. Now, let's go back through this real quickly and chop it up. So he, in, in reference to the son, and he said there was a certain man who had two sons. A younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the property that falls to me. Right off the bat, we know one of the problems that the, the young son had was pride. Dad, you, if the dad had a estate, that means he had some money. Call him the young son. Let me get, let's split, let's bust this down. Let me get mine. I want mine. Well, you're stupid for wanting to run off with your money by yourself. You obviously don't know how to handle it. He proved that, right? So he had pride. 
amongst another, a, a lot of other issues. This, and it also says, after that, it says, and he divided the estate between them, right? So the dad was sitting on enough money to where either he broke a portion off for that son, a portion off for that son, then he kept some, or he gave him all of his and gave him all of his, right? That's why I got such a big problem with the, with the, with the older brother. Talking about why you made barbecue for him. And the daddy told him, he said, boy, you got money. You wanted a barbecue, go, go down and the fat floors and get you a family pack over there. Get you some meat by the pound. He blaming his daddy. But the, the book, y'all don't believe me? You ain't reading. Somebody not reading. Y'all look at me like you don't believe me. He says this, had he divided the estate between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered up all he had and journeyed into a distant country, and he wasted his fortune. And they say he took and gave him $5. He said he had a fortune, and he wasted it. Young people, who wasted the money? Answer me. Which one of the sons wasted the money? The young son, right? And let's see what he did with the money. Y'all see, I'm, I'm Bible all day long. You can't miss me. He said he wasted his fortune on reckless and loose restraint from living. And when he had spent all he had, a mighty famine uh, came in the country and he began to be in want. So it says down at the bottom, or uh, at least down at the bottom, maybe in another place, it says the brother said he spent it on prostitutes. He was in the strip club. Probably went and brought him a nice car and put rims on it and music in the car. And just, you know, I'm balling out of control. I'm everywhere. Right? Look at me. I got like a rapper, mouth full of gold teeth and a chain hanging all out the window, pulling up and spent all the money. The young son, because he couldn't handle it. He wasn't ready to handle it. But he had pride and told the daddy, give it here. Let me have it. And he took it and look what he did with it. And it said he, because he wasn't ready to handle it, he had not developed, he wasted it. It's gone. Right? And now everybody want to ride in the car while you got it. You shining, then bent over uh, to, to bull printing wraps and got it wrapped. Yeah. Right? The whole thing decked out. The car is nice, right? Like that Mustang y'all did. That Mustang was clean, boy. He didn't got the thing clean. Let me keep, let me stop. Okay. But that's what I'm saying. You got to imagine. That's why y'all don't like to read. You got to imagine, man, what's going on. Okay, so the young son, he messed up all of the money, right? And then it says that he, after he spent all he had, that famine came on the country, and he began to fall behind and be in want, right? So it says, so he went and forced and glued himself to the cities of that country and so uh, and sent him into his field to feed the hogs. And he would gladly have fed and filled his belly with the carob pods and the, that the hogs were eating. But they could not satisfy his hunger, and nobody gave him anything. Then, what's the next part say? Oh, he developed, huh? It's all over the Bible, Pastor Man. I can keep talking about this one. I don't know when I'm going to stop. It's all over the Bible. He developed. The rest of the brother came to himself. At first, he was stupid and young. Yeah, he was. Stupid and young. Daddy, give me my money, because I'm going to the strip club. Now your daddy done work, he's an older guy, it's obvious he's wise and then done things that were necessary to put y'all in a good financial position, but you don't even wait till the man die and tell him, let me get my inheritance right now. So I think the daddy was wiser than everybody ever understood. Okay, boy, I'd rather have you learn while I'm still alive and on duty than leave it to you and have you mess it up and I can't help you when I'm gone. Right. So he develops. It says he came to himself. So he came to himself. He developed. And he said, 
how many of my, uh, my how many hired servants my father having enough food and food even to spare? But I'm perishing and dying with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. Humility is what he needed. Humility is the cure to pride. He began to develop because humility, because of what you could tell he humbled himself because of what came out of his mouth. He realized he was stupid. He realized he was young and dumb. And he said, I got to go tell my daddy I'm sorry. I should have never did that. Right. So listen, we got two examples. This is where we're trying to go. You got the one guy with the one talent. He hit it in the ground. Right. His crime was not the mistake. His crime was that he didn't want to do anything with what he had. Clearly here, Jesus telling Jesus again is telling a different story from a different perspective. And he's talking about the one guy who went and blew the money. And it's, let's see how he came out, how, how he got responded to. So the guy, the guy humbles himself. He develops. He comes back. So he got up and he came to his own father. But while he was a long way off, the father saw him and was moved with pity and tenderness for him. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him fervently. And, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's humility. He didn't come back in there and say, Dad, I, I blew that, that two million. Can I, you know, can you hook me up with a hundred thousand? I, I'm, I'm going to do better this time. He didn't do that. He came back and said, Hey, whatever you got for me, Dad, I made a mistake. Yeah. I should have never did that. I didn't know what I was doing. What caused him to develop a dose of reality? When that boy spent up all that money, and the parents always telling you that, this is timeless. The parents always tell the kids, your friend going to be around as long as you got something. As long as you got that car, boy, they going to want you to give them a ride. They going to be around. But when you're walking, where your friends at? Anybody ever heard that from their parents? Right? When, you, when you're walking, where your friends at? You ain't got no money in your pocket. Where they at? As long as you're buying everything, they with you. You ever heard your parents say something like that? Close to that? Oh, yeah, that's because they're telling the truth. They've been through it before. They did the same thing they're telling you not to do. Right? People think their parents just smart. But we, we messed up. Yeah. We messed up a lot of stuff. Right? Why do you think you're sitting here right now? Right? Where do you think you came from? Doing a lot of, a lot of us doing stuff we weren't supposed to do. Surprise. Surprise you here. And we kept you. We're looking after you now. We're feeding you, eating up all the groceries. <laughs> So the dad went and the dad told him, he says, bring the best robe and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And he and and bring out. So he said, let's have a barbecue. Order fat floors. I keep plugging the restaurant. Order fat floors. Get the brisket over here. The people, they make good food over there. And it, now it says his older son was in the field. Remember I told you I remember in the field. And as he returned, he came and he heard the music and everything going on at the house. I'm going to skip down a little bit. But the elder brother was angry and he was with deep seated wrath and resolved not to go in. Then his father came out and he began to plead with him and he answered uh, his father. He said, look, these many years I served you. You never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me as much as a little kid. Or you never even cooked a goat for me. Meaning you didn't take me to the other place that wasn't even fat floors. Right. <laughs> uh, that I'm in revel and feast and happy and be married with my friends. But when his son, uh, the son of yours arrived. Who devoured his estate with immoral women. Now watch him. Watch this. Let's see what he said. Look at him. I'm telling you, man. You got to watch this guy, man. Who devoured his estate with immoral women. You've killed for him the wheat, fat, and calf. And the father said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that, that is mine is yours. In other words, it's not my fault. You haven't asked me for what 
you want nor taking the risk. Uh, he said, so, so the daddy, basically the dad said, again, let me read it again. It's not my fault that you haven't asked me for what you want or stood up and take a risk. Because that's the brother's problem. Remember it said in the beginning, he split the money up. The brother got some money. The older brother got money too. He just didn't do nothing with the money. Right? So we, we go back to the Terrence thing. The money got split up. The younger brother took it and wasted the money. The, the guy with the, uh, with the talents, he didn't, he just said, I'm going to give it back to him. It's, God knows you're going to make mistakes because it's part of your development. It's the, uh, it's the unwillingness to get involved or take risks that upsets God. This brother took off and spent a fortune. And the old man came back and when he saw him, he didn't even have to get over there. The dad ran to him. And the dad said, get him a ring, get him a coat, get him some shoes, take care of him. Right? And so the other brother, the only thing he got to say is, you wouldn't give me no barbecue. And so the dad, to me, the, the response is, it's not my fault you haven't asked me for what you want, nor taking any risks. Go back out there in the field. Alright? The brother said the brother was in the field. So the dad's like, go back in the field, this is me thinking, and dig up that talent that you and put it to work. You've been out in the field. You haven't, you haven't taken advantage of what you could have taken advantage of. It said he was in the field. I'm the dad. I'm telling him, go back to the field and dig up what you ain't been using. Come on. Instead of being upset with this brother for taking a chance. Now I'm telling you now, here two, two situations. One brother dug it a hole and hit it and wouldn't want to do nothing with it. That brother got in trouble for not taking a risk. And the other brother blew all the money and came back and the daddy hugged him and, and put him back down again. We, we, we mistaken in how we believe. The Bible says that, that the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You don't think that he know you're going to make mistakes? God didn't fire Peter for cutting the dude's ear off and cussing folks out because he knew that he was developing. Peter was about doing something for God. That's the kind of person that he was. When Peter pulled that knife off and cut that dude's ear off, Jesus could have told him, uh-uh, go home, you go home. You can't be in the ministry like that. He didn't do that though, did he? He put the dude ear back on, right? Peter goes over there and cussed and denied him. Jesus still forgave him. But Peter walked on the water. That's the kind of dude that he was. Peter would get out there and go and preach that gospel. He wasn't perfect, but he had a heart for God. Right? Let's look at some other folks. Nor did he cast away David for his many mistakes because he was about taking action for God and he knew he had to develop. David made many mistakes. He wasn't perfect. But God knew these guys got to grow. Right? And, and but the, the 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 thing the the thing between them both is they were both repentant. David wrote I think it's the 50th Psalm or the 51st Psalm one or two. What David uh, talks about he said purge me. He didn't say clean me. He said purge me. I messed up God, I need you to fix me. Right? And uh, David remember the story we talked about David danced all his clothes came off? They made mistakes. But God knew they had to develop. He didn't kick them out of the ministry because they was developing. Abraham lied on his journey with God and told the king that this is my wife. He also laughed as he, now we know, remember, everybody remembers that Sarah laughed, but Abraham also laughed when God told him he was going to have a son in his old age. But he was developing. He was growing on his journey with God. Now let's look, last example. But the ten spies, not the same case. And the older generation wouldn't take action. And when they finally began fighting to take uh, the promised land, they were still without, uh, they still were not without mistakes in their development. 
So the, the 10 spies said, no, we can't do it. Joshua and Caleb said, we can. But we see after Joshua uh, and them lose that battle, Joshua gets down there and he's like, God, why did you tell him who's going to do this to the He still has some growing to do. Even after that time they spent in that, Joshua wasn't 100% ready. But he was developing. Everybody has to develop. But God does not want people and does not need people who are afraid to ever take any kind of risk. You got to, this in the kingdom of God, you got to take risk. Jesus put everything on the line. Everything. He knew that they was going to kill him. He knew that, that exactly what was going to happen to him, and he laid everything on the line. Do you think God expects anything less of us? 